Good morning, everyone. It is Friday morning, and uh, I have got COVID. Um, I woke up this morning and wondered what train or truck ran me over, uh, did a test, and found out that uh, the headache, body aches, all that other stuff, uh, fogginess of brain, I guess are due to COVID, so we're going to do the responsible thing. Um, it did not feel right at this juncture. Uh, being so late in the week to hand off a sermon to Morgan and Donnie and say, spend the next 48 hours trying to put a sermon together for the people. Mine is done, so uh, I'm going to share it with you today in a little bit of a different format. There could be tissues involved at different points, um, sips of water that I normally don't take, but nevertheless, you know, God is so much bigger than um, COVID. His spirit doesn't need me to be 100%. Um, this is the Word of God, and this is the ministry of Jesus, and uh, so we're just going to trust that God is really going to use this. So uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get going here. God, we thank you for your love. Um, we thank you that your power is perfected in our weakness, and God, we, we need you today. We need you for life, um, oh, just for every relationship. God, we need you in our depths. We, we can't... Uh, overcome a thing without you. We can't save ourselves. We can't really fix anything in any way that is eternal and life-giving. So we just invite you today to meet us, to minister to us, to love us all the way through. For those of us who don't uh, feel good, God, we ask you to touch our bodies and heal us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here we are. Um, sorry, I promise. So here it is. Please forgive me for that. Uh, here we are in week number four of our sermon series, uh, Majoring in the Minors is what we titled it, and it's simply a study of the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Um, again, those guys at the very back of your Bibles. And these are all, all men who, in one way or the other, God has called. Um, he, he's tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, I need you to go to my people and talk to them about three things. Uh, the first is they've got to repent of their sins. Their sins are destroying them. Uh, number two, return back to life with me. And then three, to then remain in my life and in my love. That That is just the, the gist of what's happening in all kinds of scenarios and situations, regardless of you know who's in power as king or uh, you know what the exact situation is. And so far we've heard from Hosea, whose name means... Uh, Yahweh is salvation, or God is salvation. We've heard from Joel, whose name means uh, Yahweh is God. And today, <laughs> we're going to hear from the prophet Amos, whose name means burden bearer. And I'm going to try and explain to you what this really means. Um, uh, I'll use a personal story. Back in 1995, Jane and I moved from the south uh, to New England to go to seminary. And it was an incredible culture shock. Um, back in the South, uh, you know, in general, people, people tend to be real nice and genteel to your face. Uh, so long now, sugar, I love you. And then when you turn and walk away, they'll tell everybody that you're ugly and your mama dresses you funny. <laughs> it's, it's more than a stereotype. Live this. Um, but not in New England. Uh, they say whatever they are thinking no matter what. Um, 
I, they just no filter at all. I remember one time I, I, I ordered lemonade. We were out in Boston Common Garden. I ordered lemonade for Harrison. And um, the lady looked at me. She goes, oh, my gosh, you talk so funny. I said back to her, well, right back at you, baby. Um, uh, another time I made a wrong turn. And a guy said to me, hey, buddy, if you keep driving like that, you're going to get clocked. <laughs> Maddie, one time, Maddie and Jane were shopping in the grocery store. And Maddie stood up in the shopping cart. And this lady says, your daughter, your daughter needs to sit down. Probably not a wise thing to say to a mama bear. Uh, the woman did escape with her life, if that makes you feel any better. But these are just folks that they just say it. And in time, it actually became... <coughs> quite, <coughs> quite refreshing. And I tell you that because with the prophet Amos, there is this, this, this feeling of being in New England. Um, he reminds me of New Englanders, just the phrasing, uh, the, the directness. He's a guy who, he, he is a burden barrier, bearer in that he bears or he carries the people's sins to them and he just lets them have it. He just says exactly what's going on. There's just no sense of you know, let's work into this, beat around the bush. He's, he's very direct. Um, so having said that, let me give you a little bit of, of background on Amos. Um, the book opens in chapter 1, verse 1, telling us that Amos is from Tekoa, which is in northern Judah. So he's right on the border of Judah and Israel. And uh, Amos 4, 7, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 714 gives us a little more bio on, on Amos and says... He says, before the Lord called me, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I was a shepherd and someone who took care of sycamore fig trees. So again, a normal guy like you and I, God pulls him into service. Um, he also lived during the time of Jeroboam II, uh, who we all know now was a, a rock star of a leader by worldly standards. He got stuff done. I mean, he was a master militarily, economically, um, led led Israel into, you know, kind of a, of a, a rebirth in terms of just economy and culture. Well, I should say, you know, just all the infrastructure. But uh, spiritually, Jeroboam was a prideful, arrogant fool who rejected God. And he led all of Israel into just this deep, dark, moral decay. And so God sends Amos from Tekoa, okay, northern Judah, to Israel to speak to his people about other nations. Um, Amos tells the people that God is going to punish all the nations around them for their sin. So we're talking about uh, Damascus, Gaza, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and even Judah, where Amos is from. And you can almost hear the people, the Israelites, cheering. Yeah, God, go get them. You know, punish the nations, all those nations for their sins. But the problem is that what Amos has been doing as he's talking about the nations is he has been working in a circle. And you'll never guess who is at the center of the circle. Israel is the bullseye. And I'm going to read you just a, a snippet of Amos's message to Israel. Okay, these are just uh, six chapters, uh, uh, six verses, 
Amos 2, 6 through 12. Um, but this captures it all. So listen to this. The Lord says, For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down <coughs> beside, <coughs> beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. So we want to be clear, okay? <coughs> Sometimes we get lost in Hebrew poetic language, and most of the prophets uh, use poetry to communicate. To be clear, the sins here, not on the part of pagan nations, okay? Not on the part of people who don't know God and have always been trapped in idolatry, but the sins of God's people are denying justice to the poor, selling their own, the poor, uh, the disenfranchised, uh, their own brothers and sisters back into slavery, and sexual abuse of at least young women. This is a sobering very sobering text, book. Um, what we're talking about here is just very serious. And so God ends chapter 2 saying, folks, this, this is what you do after I bring you out of slavery. I give you the promised land and I raise up godly leaders for you. You not only pollute yourselves, but you sell your own brothers and sisters back into slavery. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 10, you do what is wrong, not right. You hoard what I have given you. And then God says, well, I'm closing the chapter on this book. This, this party is over. And that's followed by one of the most bone-chilling statements in all of Scripture. Amos 4.12, where God says to them through Amos, people, prepare to meet your God. Because of all the nations of the earth, I... I chose you. I blessed you to be a blessing to the earth. And Amos 5, 7, you have turned justice into bitterness. You cast the righteous on the ground. You, you trample on the poor and force them to give you grain. You oppress the righteous. <coughs> you take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in court. So again, this is a bad situation. Um, if God does one other thing, he points out one other thing that's very important for the people to understand at this point. Um, it's really good for us today. But I did a self-check on this one. But God kind of ends this part by pointing out their hypocrisy in worship. Let me just read this to you. Amos 5, 21 through 24. So just four verses. God says, and he doesn't use this word often in Scripture. He says, I hate I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. And hypocrisy... The standard definition of hypocrisy is hypocrisy is when you say one thing and you do another. So in this case, it's, you know, you preach, you pray, uh, you, you sing. 
you say one thing, but you do the opposite. And here, it's Israel in worship. They are proclaiming love and devotion for God. Through, through all those beautiful Old Testament rituals and, and rites, um, and yet they're walking out of the temple and they are abusing and destroying the lives of people less fortunate than, them, than themselves. And it's, it's all to build up their lifestyle. You know, it's also they're content, they have more, they'll do anything um, to, to just introduce comfort and, you know, a quote-unquote good life for themselves. And God's not having it here. Um, and yet, yet as we say that, we have the same dynamic that we've had with all the prophets. God is not having any more of that. But even, and it's so beautiful, even as he is speaking to Israel about their sin, in, in the midst of all that, there are all these layers of God's mercy and God calling them back and saying, look, even at this place, being where you are, come back to me. Listen to this, Amos 5.4. And this is right in the middle of all the sins, right? The Lord says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. Amos 5.6, seek the Lord and live. Amos 5.14, seek good and not evil that you might live. Amos 5.24, but let justice, even now let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-ending stream. And so Israel, and this is if you've ever been down on yourself, if you ever think I've gone too far, my life is over, I'm, I'm a spiritual wreck, God's done with me. Look at where Israel is and what they've done and look at God even at this 11th hour, he's calling them back. God has created them for himself. These are his children, not, you know, a bunch of people down the street. I mean, God wants his people back. And it's so important to hear the heart of God and to feel the heart of God and know that this isn't them, just them. This is you. This is me. God wants to do so much more. Yet I also hope we hear in the midst of this you know, one of the things I grew up with as a kid, and may, maybe I just heard it, maybe you never have, and if not, great. But one of the things that, that I was taught very early on was that social justice, um, you know, looking after the poor, seeing those who are without, you know, reaching out to, you know, people who are so unlike us and so disadvantaged. I was actually taught in the church that that was the stuff of, of liberal churches, um, you know, people who didn't have a high regard for God and Jesus, that's what they did. I, I don't know what was behind all of that back then. I, I'm sure there was some social, you know, disaster going on. I, I don't know. But I know in light of Scripture, it's, it's just a dead wrong concept. So anyway, um, despite all of this, right, despite the clear warnings and the invitations to repent and live, there is no indication that Israel obeyed that Israel turned in God's direction. And so we end, you know, here we are at this crossroads and you've got God reminding them of their great calling, their great responsibility, and this great life he has for them. But we have Israel choo choosing great sin, uh, very great sin, which leads to grave consequences. And so in the book of Amos, unfortunately, the punishment will fit the crime. Israel finds that out 40 years later when the Assyrians uh, invade them and carry them off into exile. And it's just important to see, you know, the golden rule in effect here, doing to others as you would have them to do. 
um, because the cost of Israel oppressing and enslaving their own people ends up being oppression and slavery for them. <sighs> but Amos ends on a good note. Listen to this. This is so great. A powerful note of hope for the future. Amos 9, 11 through 15. I will restore David's fallen shelter, God says. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. I will rebuild it as it used to be <clears throat> so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman, the planter by the one treading grapes. Um, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. I will bring my people Israel back uh, from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Now, before we decipher what that means, okay, because there's, there's, uh, there's some rich things here, even on a casual surface level reading of these six, five, six verses, hear how good God is. Hear the mercy of God. Hear a future. Hear a hope. Hear love. And hear the fact that even the worst sin, it doesn't stop God's salvation. God will restore. He, he will rebuild and he will re-bless his people in the end. The question is how. It's always the question, right? Well, it's all right here. Um, <coughs> David's, David's fallen shelter and possessing Edom and all the nations bearing my name that's a reference to Jesus. That's a reference to salvation. New life in Christ for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus, regardless of what nation they come from. You know, they don't have to be Israelites anymore. They, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved through the death, the resurrection, confession, and belief in Jesus. Okay, uh, new wine dripping from the mountains and flowing from the hills refers to fullness of life and ministry in the Holy Spirit. It goes back to what we talked about last week. You know, um, some of us have spent a lifetime being afraid of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us to accomplish the, the mission of, of, uh, of God in this world so that we could be the mission of God in this world. And then finally, planning Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted. Um, that's a reference to eternal life and abundant life for all God's people. So, the takeaways, okay? We've got a couple of takeaways here. I'm at 19 minutes. Wow, that's pretty good. Our takeaways this morning are really two things. The first one is from the book of Amos, we must understand God's justice. God is just. God deals with evil. And a historical evil on the part of his people from beginning to end has been neglecting the least and the lost. It's been stepping on the heads of other people to get ahead. It's been looking the other way when someone's in need like the, the Good Samaritan. Um, by the way, that doesn't just, just apply to the, uh, the materially poor. It's anyone who's impoverished spiritually. Anyone who's hurting, anyone who is empty and lost, and there's so many different... You, you can be worth billions of dollars. 
and you can be spiritually poor. So, so this applies across the board, but certainly to the poor in our streets right here. So just we want to understand that. Um, and, and that ought to really get our attention that God is serious about this because we live, I love America, folks, I'm a patriot, the whole nine. But America is a me-first country. It, boy, we are all, in the 80s, we had that ridiculous slogan, whoever dies with the most toys wins, still true. Still true. And it doesn't work for us spiritually. That's not who the people of God are supposed to be. Um, uh, James, another straight shooter in Scripture, right? James in the New Testament, very much like Amos. He says this to us about this very thing in James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, <coughs> if we claim to have faith, but we have no deeds? In other words, if we say, hey, I'm a believer, but my life doesn't show it. Can such faith save us? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, good luck, go in peace, keep, keep warm and well fed, but we do nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. And, and that's not like, okay, well, go and just start doing stuff like a Boy Scout for God, you know. It's not that. It's that what we, what we uh, believe and what we practice, what we proclaim and what we live, they need to merge. That's maturity in Christ that we are consistency. Again, look at the hypocrisy just a little earlier in the sermon here. So what are we supposed to do about that, okay? Well, we, we go back to Amos, all right? We go back to, uh, to let me see, did I say everything there? Uh, okay, I did. Um, we go back to Amos 9, 11 through 15. And we just note what God has said to us. Number one, we are called, Jesus, right? We are called to newness and freedom in Jesus Christ. Salvation is ours. We want to step in fully to salvation. Uh, just live that life out. Be reminded of who we are. And from there, we are to walk out the abundant life that the Holy Spirit has given us in, in, in everyday life and in ministry. And we want to be a people that never get caught up in ourselves. We, we do not allow the church. We don't allow it to become an institution. You know, all about us, the programming. Oh, it's just to feed us. It should on one hand, but man, if it stops there, we're really in violation. We don't want that as a church. And the good thing is that that is not the heart of this church. I heard that, amen. All right, um, so we, we want to do that. Now, let me give you an example. I just want to give you an example of what this could look like in everyday life. Um, I'll tell you a story about my life. Um, back in the summer of 1986, uh, I was at a place of, of spiritual poverty that was profound. I have never felt as lost as I did during that time. I, I hit rock bottom. I really did. Just the sin, I had sinned myself into a pit that I, I couldn't get out of. There's nothing I could do about it. I mean, spiritually, emotionally, uh, even physically, I couldn't get out of this place. But fast forward two months, I was walking in freedom, forgiveness, and the fullness of God. Now, how did I get there? Okay, uh, I get there, got there the same way every lost person does. It was not because high-minded, self-righteous, stern strict Christians got in my face and told me I better turn or I was going to burn. 
As a sinner, I already knew I was in trouble. Down deep, most sinners have a sense that I'm in a place that's horrible. Now, they'll persist in it, sure, but man, I know. I, I, I didn't need that. Instead, it was a few loving, merciful, compassionate Christians who were filled up with the love of God and led by the Holy Spirit who listened to God. They saw me in my distress and my despair, and they loved me back to Jesus. And it all started for me one night when I was sitting on a beach in the pit of despair, right? Uh, sitting on the pit, pit of despair and um, just feeling like my life was over because of my sin. I felt so dirty, so ashamed, so hopeless. And, and I was just sitting there just saying to God, help. Didn't have any other words. I'm sitting there, and someone calls my name, and I look up, and it's my youth pastor. And he sat right down on the sand, um, right there on the beach beside me at Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. And we prayed and talked for a couple of hours. And I, I discovered the mercy of God, the kindness of God, that when we stood up from that prayer, I was forgiven, I was free, I was clean. Y'all, I was brand new. And God would have us be like that awesome friend of mine, that youth pastor, Tim, who came my way. He would have us be that. And that's the second takeaway to Amos. Takeaway number one, yes, God is just. Takeaway number two is that God is merciful. He forgives and loves people back to himself. Self. But he does this through us. He set us free from our slavery so we would help set other people from their slavery. But we're not going to do that apart from the presence of Jesus, just the salvation of Christ being very real to us. We're not going to do it outside of the power of the Holy Spirit as a church. As Christians, we are like the Jews in this passage in Amos. We have a high calling from God to be a blessing to a lost, hurting world. He chose us to represent Him to them. And His great commandment to us is to love above all else. Love him above all else, which results in us loving them. And again, we don't ever want to be those people that, oh, we love you, God, and we wish the world good luck. That's not what this is about. So <clears throat> let me pray for us. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> let me pray for us. And uh, this may even get separated from the sermon. I don't know what we're going to do in the end, all these technical wizards in our church, but let me, uh, let me lift this up. Uh, Father God, we, I just pray for anybody um, watching this today who is like me years ago as a teenager and just feeling lost, um, feel like they have shipwrecked themselves in sin. God, if you are rescuing people like this through, through the, the, the ministry and the age of the minor prophets, there is not a person, not a person on this planet who is beyond your reach, your love, your salvation. And I just pray that your mercy would cry out to them, God, that, that just the offer of life and your love. Oh, they would take that in and say, today, Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord, my Savior, my Master, to, to give me what I can't give myself, rescue life, newness. Father, I pray for us as a church that we will not look at our programs and feel condemned or you know, uh, you know, do what is happening so often in the U.S. right now, dividing up and shaming, but together you just give us a vision of what you want us to do as a people, that God greedily would just be our harvest field. 
And God, that the burden, the burden of uh, the poor, the spiritually, the, the materially poor, um, those who are lost and, and just are downtrodden, I pray that you give us eyes to see them, a heart to move toward them. Oh God, fill us to overflowing with your spirit because that's what this whole thing is about. That is why we have the gift of the spirit so that we can be led and we can be empowered to love to share that timely word, and just to be your instruments. We love you, we honor you, we bless you. In Jesus' name. And I love you all. God bless you today. Have a wonderful day of worship. Amen and amen.